0: Um, and so that is our final installment of this series, and but as I was thinking about this, but I want to kind of give you a, a quick little story here. Um, this past week I came home from a job interview uh, from Rolla, and one thing we always do is because my dog's a wuss, we turn the TV on for him because he needs a little little comfort noise, whatever it may be. He's the biggest wuss in the world, I'm telling you. He's scared of everything. Um, but, so we, we turn the TV on for him, and I get home, and he's watching Mori Povich. You guys ever heard of that? You, know, <laughs> you, you ever seen Maury Povich? Yeah, I mean, he, sometimes he just doesn't pay attention. You know, He just watches whatever's on TV. But um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but like, what's Mori Povich known for? Like when you think of it, what is the phrase? Paternity test, you know, the phrase, you are not the father, you are the father. So that's Moripovich. I don't ever watch this show. And so I was sitting down there, and I just was like, oh, okay. It's, I mean, it's been years since I've watched this. And so as I'm watching this show, um, obviously there's this one particular guy. And he's being accused of being the father of this child. Uh, and so not only is that, about several years back, he was on the show as well, being accused of the same thing. And so, basically, come to find out a few years back that he was not the father. So, obviously, you can see that, you know, this, I I, honestly, I think there's reality to it, but I also think there's a lot of fakeness to the show, too, as well, that's played up. And so, obviously, that would be somewhat embarrassing, but this new lady was on there. She was accusing this guy of being the father. And she was upset because he didn't want to be around this kid. He didn't pay child support. He didn't do all these things. And, and so then they, you know how they do. They do like the side by side. Look at this kid. How could you not want to spend time with this kid? And the guy's like, I don't know if he's my kid or not. And so how could you not pay child support? How could you not do all these different things? And then so come to find out with the paternity test, it came back, you are not the father. So you know how it is, everybody's jumping around, and the, the women start crying, and that's just kind of how, that's kind of how that, that show goes. And as I'm watching this, like, this guy's not just accused once on the show, this guy's accused twice. So obviously something's wrong in, in this situation here. But as I was watching the show, and I was thinking about it, I was like, how do you get accused two times? And so not only was he accused two times, he was accused wrongly two times. And as I was thinking about our sermon today, uh, obviously Daniel didn't go through a situation like this. He wasn't ever on Mori Povich's show. But Daniel himself is accused of a situation that he is not in wrong. And he is not at fault. And so that's actually going to lead us into our story in Daniel chapter 6 verse 1, so I'll let you guys get there. Who ever thought you can tie Maury Povich into Daniel chapter 6? Did anybody ever think that? But that's where we are tonight. So, um, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, and when you guys are there, say you're there. You're there perfectly. You're looking at the screen, so you're actually probably there quicker than I am. Um, And so, but Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 says this. It pleased Darius, and I learned this week through YouTube version Bible app that I've been saying this name wrong. I've always said Darius, you know what I mean? Does it look like Darius to you? But as I was going through YouTube version Bible app, it says Darius, so hopefully I don't screw it up or mess it up tonight. Um, If not, oh well. But it said this, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. Now, what I want you guys to understand as we're going through this story, Daniel himself, it is believed that he has served under three to four different kings. All right, that's a lot of kings. And so the first king that we learned was King Nebuchadnezzar. And then his son after that was Belshazzar, and he didn't have a very long reign. And now you have here Darius. And so, and also that if Darius is not also Cyrus... Which Darius actually, people believe to be a term called holder of the scepter. And so, he, Daniel could have served under three kings, or he could have served under four kings. So there's some de- debate over that. So that is the king. So he is under a new regime. He is under a new empire. He is no longer under the Babylonians. So he is serving uh, amongst a new king. So that we sat, go here in verse 2, and it says this. And over them... Three high officials, say three high officials, of whom Daniel was one. Whom these satraps should not give account, so that king might not suffer loss. So of all the people in the land, Daniel is one of the top three guys. That's a pretty powerful guy, isn't it? That's a, that's a pretty influential guy in the kingdom. Now, what we learned when we started our series was simply this. When Daniel was taken captive as, as a youth, he was about 17 years of age. Now, Daniel is in his 80s. So Daniel is a little wiser than he used to be. He's a little older. He served through all these kings. So uh, Daniel is actually now in his 80s. And verse 3 tells us this. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps. Because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now one thing that we see in the book of Daniel is that no matter which kingdom he was in, Daniel himself is always distinguished. God has given him an ability, and God has given him the, the, uh, the opportunity to be very good at what he does. And notice right here it says, Excellent Spirit. Everybody say, Excellent Spirit. I kind of got a funny story. We dropped my sister off at college about a year ago, close to the same time. And, in, and when we did, uh, Pastor Jensen preached on Daniel chapter 6, and he talks about the excellent spirit that Daniel had. And not only did he talk about it, he talked about just how in his own life, how he's desired and he's prayed for an excellent spirit in everything that he did. And so his ministry has really blossomed over the years, and he's just talked about how God's really blessed it in so many different ways. And so as he was talking about this excellent spirit, it, man, it just really hit me. And and he started saying a little bit more about it. And I was like, man, you know what? I want to pray for an excellent spirit in my life. I I think all of us as Christians should desire to be excellent at what we do. And so really what an excellent spirit is, everything that Daniel did, he was extraordinary at. So this is the kid where the teacher says, hey, I want you to do a three-page paper. Daniel does a four or five-page paper. And so Daniel's getting like 110%, which I don't even know how it makes sense, but that's what Daniel. So Daniel is this guy. He is the guy that everything he does, he excels in. And as the pastor was, was preaching, he asked everybody in the congregation, he says, I don't know if there's anybody here, but if you want an excellent spirit in your life, raise your hand. So I raised my hand. Who doesn't want an excellent spirit? And then next thing you know, somehow he turned raise your hand in for an excellent spirit to salvation. And I'm like holding my hand up for salvation all of a sudden now. I, I, like I'm the family's pastor here at the church at this time. So I was quickly like, "Woo, yeah, yeah." I wanted the excellent spirit, but I'm, I've been saved for about 12 years now. So uh, he got me with the whole hand raised thing. <laughs> and so, but as I was thinking about I was praying that the Lord would give me an excellent spirit. And God has blessed Daniel. And we see here in verse 4, it says, Then the high officials in the stay traps sought to find a ground of complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error fault was found in him. Can anybody in this place relate to that? Can we relate to that at all? No error, no fault found in us? Well, this is Daniel. And verse 5 says this, Then these men said, We shall not find ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And as I was thinking about us as Christians, can people say that about us? Can people say that about Blake? Can people say that about Trey or anybody else in this room? The grounds for complaint that they could only find was against the law of his God. And so that is a huge testament to Daniel and why Daniel gets a book. Like, Daniel gets a book because of these things like this. And verse 6 says this, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, I got it, I said it right, live forever. All the high officials in the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps The counselors and the governors agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction so uh, that whoever makes petition to any god for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in a den alliance. This is important because notice the phrase that it says here. The counselors and the governors agreed. Daniel didn't agree. Daniel is nowhere in this story. He is not in this this situation at all. But they've came to the king, and they've told him that, hey, we have a great idea. No one is going to pray to anybody but you for 30 days. And so my title tonight is just 30 days, or only 30 days. And so he has given them a choice. And we talked about last week, we talked about the king's pride. These individuals are playing on the pride of King Darius, And they're saying, nobody prays to anybody but you. And he feels like this is a great, this is a wonderful idea. And so in this story kind of goes on too as well. Now, O King, verse 8, establish an injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, sign the document and injunction. Now, I don't know about you guys, maybe to us, like this doesn't make sense, like you think the king can do whatever he wants. Am I right? Like if you're a king, you can go and do what you want. But during this time, what actually happened was when a king, to the law of the Medes and the Persians. So when a king spoke, they believed that when king made an injunction, that he was speaking for the gods. So when he makes a decree, so when he says something, it can't be undone. Because in a sense, they would be contradicting the gods that they believe in. So this is part of the reason that they make it very plain. When you say something, and you make a decree, it has to be in effect. And even you, O king, cannot reverse it. Make sense? Makes sense. Okay. And verse 10 says this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed. So Daniel is very well this document has been signed. And it said he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chambers open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees and three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to God thanks before God as he had done previously. This doesn't sound like an individual that's too worried about a decree. Am I correct? Like he's not too concerned about this decree at all. And so not only does, as soon as he finds out about it, what does he do? He goes and he begins to pray. And so one of the traditions that Jewish people, they believe, had at this time was they would pray three times a day. And a lot of times what they would do is they would face Jerusalem, which we see this in the Muslim culture today as well. You see them taking the very tradition that the Jewish people had and implementing it in their culture and in their belief system. And so that is what Daniel's doing. And the thing that I find interesting is simply this, and I have this on the screen. Daniel did not hide his relationship with God, and neither should we hide our relationship with Jesus. Am I correct? Like, Daniel is in a situation, you know, our series title is Living for Jesus in a Jesusless world. Daniel's in a situation where he knows he can be thrown into the lion's den. You don't want to go in the lion's den. It's a bad place to be. And so this is what Daniel knows, and Daniel does this anyways. And, you know, we're talking about fault. We're talking about people accusing Daniel. And what happens is when you as an individual begin to live for Jesus in your own life, people should be able to see that. You know, this past week I had an interview, and I don't know about you guys, how many of you guys ever had a job interview? Job interviews, most of us in this place have had job interviews. And as I was sitting in my job interview, one of the questions that the guy asked me, which was a very not-your-normal question. He was somebody that I knew real well, so it wasn't like it was a random guy. He goes, how do you feel about your coworkers going out after work and drinking? <laughs> and I'm like, first of all, how do you respond to a question like that in a job interview? And I kind of thought about it for a second, and I was, he could tell I was perplexed, and he asked it again. And I was like, well, I mean, I go, I go, I don't drink. And I go, I mean, I'm not going to tell a bunch of adults what to do. I go, but I ain't going out to bars and clubs if that's what you're asking me in this interview. And it was just such a bizarre, such a weird question. But it's because he knew what I represented. He knew that I represented Jesus. And so he asked me that question, which he probably had never asked anybody else in an interview because he saw the evidence of Jesus on my life. And so us as Christians, we should be exhibiting those same characteristics as those around us. Are not of those around us, but as Jesus Christ in our life, we should be the example. And Daniel only had to not pray for thirty days. This dude couldn't even pray for not th- pray for thirty days, and he did it anyways in spite of everything that was going on. Verse eleven says this: Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition. And before the plea before his God. So these people are like sneaking and hiding around trying to find Daniel at fault here. These are not good friends. These are not good co-workers. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to have these as co-workers. And then verse 12 says, Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, didn't you not dis- sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in the den alliance? So they're reiterating the very thing that he has already signed just to make sure the king's aware. Have you ever gone in an argument with somebody like they're setting you up to argue but you have no clue? It's about ready to be an argument. That is what they're doing. She's nodding her head yes. Must happen very often. Um, so that's what they're doing here. And then it says there, uh, 30 days except O king. The king answered and said, this stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. So the king has just dug himself a hole here. And verse 13 tells us this. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is the one exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Now remember, in the very few very first verses, the king actually was going to put Daniel in charge of everything. So now you can just see the king just being like, they got me. Like instantly, he knows. He pays no attention, you O know, king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard the words, was in much distress and set his mind to deliver Daniel and labored till the sun went down. To rescue him. And you can think about that. A king is now worried about one of his servants. This is the influence that Daniel had in this king's life. This 80 year old man. The influence that he had on these people. And in verse 15 says this. Then these men came by agreement to the king. And said to the king, know, O king, that this is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. So what I began to do is I began to do some research online. And I tried to find the most accurate picture I possibly could of the lion's den. And uh, Norm should be able to show it to us here in a second. This is the most accurate picture that I could find uh, of the lions then during that time. So that's what Daniel looked like at age 80. Um, and those are the lions. Uh, those are very ferocious. Um, so, it, But obviously you can see there, it's like they're actually thrown into this pit. So sometimes, especially being 80 years old, you can imagine being thrown into a pit like that. Like you can get severely injured by just falling into the pit. And so not only that, you have more ferocious lions than actually those right there. So this is a bad deal. You don't want to be thrown in the lion's den. Going on there, it says, Then the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. So the king obviously is pulling for Daniel. But this is meant to be a death sentence. This is not meant to be just a playful kitty time. Like this is meant to be a death sentence. And he's saying the only thing that's gonna save you, Daniel, this is this. Your God. Everybody say your God. Your God. And he'll deliver you. And verse 17 says this, And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of the Lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Any of you guys got a signet ring that you go around just sealing stuff? Like, I give my signet to this, you know, this is closed? Well, there's a reason that he actually did this. One of the reasons that they actually believe the king did this was simply because obviously these guys are trying to have Daniel killed. What if the lions don't actually kill him? Well, his adversaries, his individuals could go into the den, and, or not den or have Daniel killed in the den themselves. So the king is actually not only doing this to say, hey, don't touch this, but he's also in a sense possibly doing this to protect Daniel. And Eli, if you and the team want to come back up. And verse 18 tells us this. Then the king went to his palace... And spent the nine night fasting. Now keep in mind, he's probably not fasting the type of fasting that you and I do as Christians when we're really seeking the Lord. But he's doing the type of fasting where, you know how it is, like you're so stressed out, you can't eat. Anybody ever relate there? I'm, I'm usually pretty good, like I always find a time to eat. I, I don't know if I've ever really just not found a time to eat. But that's where the king's at. And no diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. It says, then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. So the king's first thought was Daniel. And so not only that night, the king wanted no entertainment. He wanted nothing going on. Because remember, we learned that he was going to put Daniel in charge of just about everything. So he meant a lot to him. Losing Daniel would mean a lot to the kingdom. Because obviously you can see the character and nature of these other individuals that are in charge as well. And in verse um, 20 it says this. As he drew, as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the what? Living God. And that's the difference. Between a lot of gods around the world. And even in this time. Like they believed that when a king made a decree. That it was the voice of the gods. But here you have a king. Contradicting himself. Saying Daniel king of the living God. And they saw the Jesus in the life of Daniel. Has God whom you serve continually. This is not a first time occurrence for Daniel. This is not the beginning for Daniel of li- walking out his relationship with God. But he has served him continually. And a pagan king is noticing that. This pagan king is seeing the power of God in his life over this time. And he says, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions. So he knows the power of Daniel's God. But here's verse 21. I can imagine this 80-year-old man in this pit of lions. I don't know if he's cuddling with the lions. I don't know what he's doing with the lions. I don't know if he's hanging out. I'd probably be like, you guys just stay over there right now. You just stay back. But it says this, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. got to show the king some props. O king, live forever. My God. So he is giving... God the glory for this situation. Daniel's not a—he's not a circus. I don't know what the guy lion tamer. That's not Daniel's not in there. Mesmerize, you don't see like the guys with the little flutes with the cobras and they're going around the cobras. This isn't Daniel. Daniel's not the lion tamer. He's not the lion mesmerizer. And it says, My God sent His angel and shut the mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before Him. That. Is what Daniel says here. And it says, also before you, O king, I have done no harm. What a story. What a powerful story. What a powerful instance that we can see this. And then I want you, I'm going to paraphrase. I'm not going to read the last scriptures. But basically what happens is the king begins to draw Daniel out of this pit. And he begins to take him up and he's seen the power of God in the life of Daniel. And so what he does is simply this. He takes the accusers of Daniel and he says, because you deceived me, because you tried to take my most influential guy away from me, I am going to put you in the lion's den. And not only you, but your entire family. And to us, that sounds a little strange. Why would you put the entire family? Well, one of the reasons that they did that was because in that culture, if somebody was did something wrong, it was common for not only that individual, but their entire family to be held accountable. That is a powerful story. And that's a story we tell our kids. You know? But the interesting thing, it says this too, and it says, as soon as those people hit the bottom, the lions jumped on them and crushed their bones. So it wasn't one of the stories where, well, the lions really weren't that hungry. No, as soon as the individuals, before they reached the da- ground, the lions jumped on them. You've heard people talk about this before too with Apostle Paul when he's bit by the viper in the book of Acts. They say, well, you know, it's the, you know, there's certain times where a snake has venom and after they secrete it, then they don't have venom. But no, no, no. We see in this story, the angel came and he began to close the lion's mouth. And as I was thinking, as I was, I was trying to close this series, it, it's probably one of the more exciting stories in the book of the Bible. The favor of God. But it's this. It's a non-believer saying, Daniel, the God that you continually serve has He saved you. And so what I want you guys to do as a church, I want us to begin to stand. And I want us to understand the God that we continually serve. Did I say say something wrong? Yeah, you can stand as a church. (laughs) Uh, But what I want you to do is I want you to truly grasp this concept because this is not the old god no this is our god the god that we continually serve to see the jesus in our life to see jesus in our schools to see jesus in our workplace that is what we desire as a church that is what we desire as a people and as we begin to worship, what I want you guys to understand, when we do these songs at the end, it's not just uh, its one of those songs where you just throw away songs, but it, it's some songs where if you want to come to the altar and you want to worship, if you want to worship at your seat, you know this, and I was thinking about this, you know when I became a Christian? The day I became a Christian, August 26, 2007, was not in the first part of worship. It was not in the sermon. It was during this time. Where the Lord began to work on my heart and God used an individual come over and to touch me. And so what I want you guys to do, I want you to begin to think about the word. Think about what God has spoken through his word to us tonight. And say, God, how does your word apply to me? And God, I want so much of you that when I walk into a room, people say, yeah, there's, you know, I can't do that around Maisie." I can't do that around Nate because the Lord is working in your life to such an extent. And so church, let's begin to enter into worship. And let's begin to worship the God who is more than able.